Hi, I'm Brad Solomons, and this is my first draft. Here we are, episode three. Let's do a quick recap. My name is Brad. I wrote a novel, and this is me reading it to you while I try to both edit it and do a podcast about editing it. Oh, and try not to get entirely too meta for either of those things. And by the way, I've never published a novel before. Or made a podcast, for that matter. At least... Well, here's the thing about us creative folks. We dabble in all sorts of stuff... If you go to my website and look around, you're going to learn that I have a laundry list of projects that I've worked on over the years. I wrote and drew a webcomic for three years, for example. I kept a pretty active blog, you know, back when that was the thing that you did, and I did it for over 16 years. And, of course, I've dabbled in video, audio, photography, words, paint, and even code. Yes, code can be a creative pursuit. It's all a real creative jumble. So maybe it isn't entirely a strange thing that I've jumbled a few other ideas together, like writing a novel and making a podcast. You know the story. You're here listening to it. In my first two episodes, I read you the first couple of scenes from the book that is my first draft of a scientific, romantic, paranormal, science fiction-esque adventure story. You met Ian, who was tripped up and injured in the mountain woods during his morning run. And then you met Dr. Craig and Andy, who work at the university and are both about to get tangled up in the botanical science paranormal mystery and the curious goings-on up on that same mountain. Now we're going to pivot one more time as the novel really gets rolling and meet our antagonist. I know, I kind of referred to him as the so-called bad guy last episode, but to be honest, I'm reluctant to call him a villain. Not because he's a good person or even just passively antagonistic, no. This guy is a piece of work, but he's not evil. He's just... well, you'll see. And a warning, this isn't a kid's book. So some of my characters, in particular this guy, have a bit of a mouth on them. I know you're probably fine with that, and this podcast is marked as explicit, but before I start reading, especially this chapter, I wanted to make sure that you know that. Anyways, let's jump into the third scene of my first draft and meet local businessman Sigmund Furio, who's rolling out of City Hall and none too happy about his day is going so far. The small booze flask in his breast pocket is tap-tapping so hard against his chest that Sigmund Furio momentarily mistakes it for his heartbeat as he rushes down the wide public stone steps leading from the Birchmont City Hall council chambers. Rightly so, he is furious and is heart is all on its own, pounding like a drumbeat after watching that vote. <laughs> that goddamn vote. He would have pulled the golden vessel out then and there if only to calm his nerves, if not for the gaggle of reporters milling at the bottom of the stairs, waiting to pounce. <laughs> that would make a front page story, no doubt about it. What he does instead, he extracts his phone from the opposite pocket, holds it to his ear as if to make a call, faking a call moving his lips and muttering to himself while he is just pretending to have a conversation. A ruse. As he continues down the steps and nears within earshot of those same reporters, he avoids eye contact, hopes that he can simply slip by them today without being spotted, recognized, interrogated. Goddamn fucking elected assholes! 
He loses himself for only a moment, but then his muttering amplifies into angry shouts aloud right into the blank screen of his phone. Right into the nothing, even though no one is at the other end to reply to a frustration barely contained. Another goddamn delay, another week wasted. Can't make up their fucking minds over a simple... And as he trails off, he realizes his mistake. His unchecked outburst has caught the attention of at least one of those egghead reporters. And there she is looking at him. She has narrowed her gaze and met his whiplash quick glance, and is even now walking briskly towards him on an intercept trajectory. Mr. Furio, she hails. Mr. Furio, a minute if you don't mind. Dina Wakatawaris, Birchmont political columnist. She's waving a glowing tablet screen at him and readying a stylus in her hand. A minute, please, Mr. Furio, I'd like a comment on the vote. You were just inside watching the vote, right? If you have a comment you could give me for my column, if you please. He almost stops in his tracks as he recognizes the name, but catches himself and keeps plodding towards the pull-up loading zone in front of City Hall, the spot where he should have met his car. Should have. His eyes track for his ride, seeking desperately towards the passenger curbs on the street right there, just a few steps away from the front of City Hall building. Dana Wakatawaris. That reporter. Of course he knows who she is. Of course he knows exactly who she is. Goddamn bitch. He mumbles under his breath, this time voice low enough that she definitely cannot hear him and cannot publish it in that progressive mainstream rag of hers. Oh, sure. Furio knows her. She's been reporting on the zoning application for weeks now and every goddamn time siding with those granola-munching conservation assholes. Biased fucking reporting and making him look like a slimy snake playing some crooked advantage. Small business guys can't get a goddamn break in this city. Fuck it all, he thinks. In fact, he decides in that moment she's probably one of them in disguise, bending the public against small business guys just like him every day, twisting the facts by day and tree-hugging by night. He'll give her a comment, all right. Mr. Furio, she hails again. A comment, please. No comment, he huffs this time, still not seeing his ride. Where the fuck is his driver anyways? He finally taps open his contact app now, scrolls quickly down with a blind flick of his thumb, then clicks the third name on the list to trigger a call. A real call this time. Thank you. Nope. Nothing to say today, Miss Welch. He replies with exaggerated politeness, trying to shoo her away. Wakata Weris. Mr. Furio, the vote. You were pressing for a quick pass a day, were you not? She asks anyways. You were obviously hoping for approval on the development permits for the Karazun Community Project, but we understand that it's been deferred for yet another administrative report. Are you concerned that this puts your application at risk? Is this on the record? He has stopped walking, still holding the dialing phone up to his ear. He unconsciously palms his breast, brushing his fingers along the outline of where the golden flask is nestled in the inner pocket and settled against his chest. Of course it's on the record. Is it? Well, he takes a deep breath and curls his lips. On the record, I'll tell you that I wholeheartedly respect the decisions of city council and anticipate that the facts and clear economic advantages of proceeding full speed ahead with the Karazun project will become abundantly evident, evident to all involved, no matter how many studies and reports are commissioned to examine our plans and permit applications. He's recited these words, or at least something almost like it, honed them to a fine point with his lawyer's supervision over and over, 15 stories up in his offices. I mentioned last episode that writing the bad guy has been a lot of fun. In fact, I'll admit that I found it so easy writing Mr. Ziggy Furio here that I spent a few days worrying that maybe I was relating a little too well to this character, that maybe I was in his head deeper than I wanted to admit. How's that for some free therapy, huh? What I came to realize, though, is that I'm not so much in the head of the character 
as I find his motivations so polar opposite to my own values. You can read that however you will, political, whatever, but it's tough to start writing novels in your 40s and not inject a little bit of your own personal politics into the story and wrap it around your own moral compass. That said, this isn't an anti-business book nor some kind of political manifesto either. My earlier comments on struggling to think of Sigmund Furio as a villain, villain with a capital V, comes from the fact that as much as I've tried to write a simple science fiction story, the morality twisted into the novel is not so binary. It's fuzzy. It's rough around the edges. We get further in, and as much as you start to dislike this guy, I think sometimes he starts to make a bit of sense, and you start to wonder if he's actually the only rational person in the story. Again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. For right now, the important thing you need to know is that Furio is motivated by money and business. And he's a bit of a self-righteous bully. One other thing I wanted to mention, and one of those editing notes that you could definitely give your feedback on, is the not-so-subtle nod to the alcohol. As I've been here editing, I've been second-guessing it, and wondering if the allusions to Furio nipping at his whiskey flask through the course of the story adds or detracts from the nuances of the character. It is a little bit too on the nose, that the antagonistic swears and bleats and drinks and shouts. I mean, could that be toned back a little? Is the alcohol a bit of a Chekhov's gun, you know? Like, does it need to do anything now that he's got this little golden flask? Am I setting myself up for a loose thread that has readers thinking the apparent alcoholism is underplayed by the end of the story? I guess I'm asking you to track that for a couple more Furio-centric scenes and let me know if this is a character crutch, or is it just another side detail? But I've talked enough. Let's get back to the story. The phone is now purring against his ear. And off the record, Dina probes. He holds up a finger to her, hushes her abruptly as someone suddenly chatters an acknowledgement from the other end of the phone connection. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. He growls back. I don't know, just get here. Now! She hasn't noticed the gesture, is scribbling notes onto her tablet and honing her own points. There is no off the record, ma'am, he replies as he pockets his phone in the inside breast pocket of his suit jacket. You seem a little flustered, if you don't mind me saying. I do mind, actually, he interrupts. I do mind, miss, but whatever. And I'll just assume that your take on this will all be up to your regular journalistic integrity. So so let's just agree that on or off the record, my frustration is 100% unequivocally about my driver being late and leaving me waiting here to give overly polite comments to nosy reporters. Nothing else, all right? And he starts to turn away, scanning again towards the pull-up parking area for the black four-door that, God damn it, should have been idling there for him ten minutes ago. You have no opinion, then, on the accusations that at least two city councillors have been connected with potential conflicts to your development group and linked to privately benefiting from any zoning changes made to the Mount Karazun Conservation Area, she says, the stylist pausing against the glass screen of her tablet at the ready to scribble his reply into a quote. In the language of Sigmund's 12-year-old son, this is a fucking mic drop moment. He should have known better than to take the bait, but then those goddamn fucking elected assholes, even as he spots his black four-door come round the corner and drive into the street in front of City Hall, fucking lies and you know it. No matter how many times you write it into that goddamn biased newspaper of yours, no matter, it won't be true. It won't be true. All lies. He realizes too late that there's a bit of spittle on his lip. He can feel the flush in his gaunt cheeks. And he unconsciously feels for the golden flask again, snuggled up at his chest. 
Dina Wakatawaris, political columnist for the local newspaper, The Birchmontian, leans away from Sigmund Furio, leans away almost imperceptibly, shifting the weight of her body to her back foot, all the while wiggling the stylus across her screen, turning the motions into notes that she'll later be showing to her editor as she recounts her afternoon assignment. She nods and says with professional calm, Thank you anyways, Mr. Furio. And then she takes her leave from him, with an about face and a brisk stride back towards her colleagues. Furio is already walking towards his arriving car, his hand sliding under the flap of his suit jacket. The suspense builds. So what did I want the reader to get out of this third chapter? First, a bit more exposition, of course. We've now had multiple different allusions to the mountain. Mount Karazun is home to a running trail, some paranormal investigation, a research project and now is also apparently on the fast track for a big real estate development project with some shady dealings going on in City Hall. And as a side note, I may have mentioned this, but though I used to work in a municipal government, the only thing real about any of this is the jargon and the bureaucratic jibber-jabber that I learned while I did that job. No real politicians were harmed in the making of this story. At least not that I know of. Anyway, I digress. So secondly, this chapter becomes about stakes. The clash of the mystery with the urgency of the work. The conflict of one side with another. A lot more details about both are building up in future chapters. As I've written this, I've treated it like I was writing and twisting narrative threads together, and for the sake of the sanity of both you, the reader, and me, the writer, I've tried to limit those threads to three. The protagonist, the subjects, and the antagonists. Now you've met the third thread. The antagonist. Sigmund Furio. And any man with a temper is usually bound to have that temper set off by someone smarter than him, at least in fiction, though it rarely works to his advantage. Wrapping up chapter 3, I wanted to note that while our friend the so-called nosy reporter might not play a big part in the first half of the book, keep her in the back of your mind because her little tat-a-tat with our antagonist is definitely not over, and a good reporter with a great big metaphorical spotlight certainly has the right tool to shine down in the dark and dirty doings of a guy like Sigmund Furio. He might not be afraid of much, that guy, but he is afraid of the truth. And what did you think of him? Too mean? Too crude? Too broad? It is just his introduction, I suppose, so maybe keep reading and see how he plays in the story. I have made some stylistic choices while writing this book, and one of those choices was to paint some of my characters with a big, bold brush. Furio, like all of my characters, might start off a little broad, caricatures almost, and that was deliberate. I want you to make some assumptions about them early so that their choices and motivations as the story builds, so that when the reality around them starts to push back on those assumptions, then there is also some internal conflict in your own mind about who is who and what is actually real. So, in the next couple chapters, we're going to flesh out some of the characters you've already met, add to the mystery, and set the stage to really start twisting and tangling these narrative threads into one cohesive story. Oh, and we have one more important character to introduce to round out the main cast. I hope you like the story so far. And either way, come find me on social media or via my website if you have any thoughts or ideas about what you've heard. It's all linked in the show notes. I'll see you in part four. Thanks for listening. This has been a Squetchy co-production. Visit me at squetchy.art.com.